Do you know what, it, it is just uh, wonderful to be in a church that half the congregation disappears when um, the kids go out. It's, it's, it's really encouraging because you wouldn't believe... So in my diocese, within the church we have diocese, out of um, 280 churches, over 200 have no children or young people in them at all. So, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. So to have a church in which there are lots of kids and young people is amazing. Um, about 24 years ago, and this dates me, it ages me, um, there was a worship album called Led to the Lost. And as somebody who loves sharing about Jesus, it really resonated with me, even all those years ago. It says, and the song on it said, as we follow your heart, we're led to the lost. And of course, uh, it's, it's not just, uh, it's, it's a biblical term, that idea of being lost. It's not us going, oh, we're better than people who don't know Jesus. You may not be a person who knows Jesus. So it's not us going, oh, we're better than you, we're found. It's what Jesus described, that actually he comes to find us. And so as we meet with Jesus, um, he leads us out to those who, who don't know him. And last night, if you weren't here, so if you're a day visitor, we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, which is the story of Pentecost. If you're new to the Bible, then it'll be totally new to you. But if you've been around stuff, it's where the Holy Spirit falls. And we thought about being expectant and about being empowered. And some of us came off the back of school runs and busy work weeks, and we just spent a little bit of time stopping, slowing down, saying, God, you know, God wants to meet with us. Um, Just... Again, if you're here this morning for the first time, I'm from, uh, I'm not from, but I live in Derby, and uh, we are part of a church that's been in existence, well, been revitalised for three years. We moved up there six years ago. We're on an estate on the edge of Derby. Derby's the sort of place you go through, you don't go to. Um, <laughs> when I was asked about going there, I was like, where's Derby? And I had to look it up on a map. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know where it was. But uh, God's been doing some wonderful things. I'm going to share a little bit about that as we go on. So if you've got a Bible near you, Bible app on your phone, turn to Acts chapter 2. The chapters are the big numbers, verses are the little numbers if you're new to all of this. And um, yeah, chapter 2, verses 14 to 24, and then 36 to 41. So we're going to read a little bit. 1032 if you've got one of these Bibles, page 1032. Chapter 2, verse 14. So we're going to read quite a bit of it, so buckle up. It just gives us a sense of what's going on. So remember, this is coming off the back of Holy Spirit falling, tongues of fire, kind of different languages, um, and this is what's going on. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God, by God to you, by miracles, wonders and signs. Which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. 
But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then we jump to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. My goodness, just incredible, isn't it? And sometimes people say to me, um, they say, Andy, isn't this all just Chinese whispers? And I'm like, no, no, this was written down within a few decades of this happening. This is the, the city in which they saw Jesus crucified. And so there's some incredible things going on here. But I want us to remember this is the overflow of God's spirit. This is not them going, oh, we've got to do this. Oh, we feel really bad about this. Oh, I really don't want to talk about Jesus. They're going to think we're weird. No, God's spirit fell, and the direct result was, my goodness, they go out. And I want to just remind us from last night, particularly if you weren't here, we are human beings. We're not human doings. This all flows out of relationship with Jesus. Last night, I mentioned that message paraphrase the unforced rhythms of grace. And I know many of us are very busy. Life is crazy. There's work, there's kids, there's neighbors, there's all the things going on. But actually, Jesus is calling us into unforced rhythms of grace. John Mark Comer, the pastor and writer, says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he's calling us into that. In Revelation, Jesus challenges the church in Ephesus. You may have come across this. He challenges them about losing their first love. And guys, if you've been around church for a long time, it's easy, isn't it, to come and we do the stuff. We show up on a Sunday. We do the rotors. We, you know, kind of, we sing the songs. But we've kind of lost that deep in here. And I want to encourage you. God is calling you back to your first love. In 1997, I, I, well, I grew up going to church. My mum's a committed Christian lady. My dad wafts in and out of church. And, you know, at the moment, I don't know where he would say he stands. But I grew up colouring the stuff in like the kids were doing here and hearing the stories. And then there was a period about six months where I went from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. You know, we went on um, church weekend away like this one. And I remember sitting there as a 16-year-old guy, and, and I just had this deep thing within me going, you need to pray out loud. And the whole row turned and looked at me as I say, Andy's just prayed out loud. That's really weird. In the midst of those six months, my godfather was an aid worker in Ethiopia. And I didn't know him very well because he was there and I was in England. And um, it was towards the end of 96. And he basically, he was on a, a plane hijacking and sadly was killed in it. And I went to the memorial service and we heard the story about this gentle humble man of God that in the midst of this plane hijacking, because some people survived, they said this guy got up and he said, if you don't know Jesus, this would be a really good time to get to know him. And he went along row by row and he prayed with people that wanted to receive prayer. And people who survived that told the story. And as a 16-year-old guy, it went from knowing about Jesus to, oh my goodness, this is real. This really makes a difference. And so friends, if you've, this isn't condemnation. 
But if you, if you know that you've kind of slipped in the busyness of life, Jesus is calling you back this morning. Because in him, it's the one that we find life and love and purpose and meaning and identity. And if, if we kind of rush on to talking about Jesus before we know that ourselves, it's just a tick list. It's just like guilt and we've got to do this. But when we know him and it is the overflow, that's when Jesus changes lives. And so in verse 14, Peter stands up to explain what God is doing. You see, this isn't Peter crowbarring Jesus into a conversation. This is not Jesus, as Glenn Scrivener would say, Jesus smuggling. This is, um, you know those conversations where you're kind of like, anywhere you can, you try to crowbar Jesus in. This isn't that. The people are going, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, we heard this noise. These people are talking in different languages. Are they drunk? Um, They say it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They'd never lived in Crystal Palace or else they wouldn't have said that. but, you know, they're like, what is going on? And, and the thing is, as God works among us and within us, it does begin to provoke questions. Um, every Easter and Christmas in Mackworth, where we live, we, we give out, since I've been there, we've, we've given out 3,500 cards. So we try to deliver them to every home on the estate. And... Um, we popped them into shops, and uh, this last Easter we gave our Easter eggs down by the co-op, and we gave them out and gave some flyers out. And many people were positive about it. Like, we had people turn up, and there were people still coming on a Sunday, literally off getting a flyer on a Saturday. Um, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was amazing. And yet, we know that, as Peter said, some people ridicule him. They say, look, these guys are drunk. They don't know what's going on. Like, this is, this is stupid. And I remember loads of people responded well, but I walked into our post office, and the lady's normally really nice when I want to post a letter. But I said, look, I'm the vicar of St. Francis Mackworth. Can I give you an Easter card? And she looked at me like I'd put something really unpleasant on her counter. <laughs> Just imagine what that might be. But she looked at me like that and was like, no, we don't want that. And I was like, oh. And I, I, and I kind of sunk. Like, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And I, but even though people responded. So I, I want to re- remind us this morning that as we share the gospel, some people are going to respond really well, and some people are not going to respond well. And that's not, a, it's not down to us. I mean, okay, if we're being idiots about it and aggressive and jerks, like, it is down to us. But the gospel will divide. Like, we talk a lot about Jesus being a person of peace. He is. But the gospel divides. And, you know, as long as we're being gracious and loving with it, um, it, it does divide. Bishop Graham Tomlin used to um, be the Bishop of Kensington. Uh, He used to work for St. Melitus College. And he wrote a book called The Provocative Church. I don't know if you've uh, ever looked at it. And he talks about how often we're very individualistic in our faith. But actually, as we share, the way the gospel in the New Testament is so often shared is together as church modeling something different. And we provoke something in people so not like kids kind of on the way to on a three-hour journey from Derby to um, down here poking each other like kind of provoke but actually it provokes questions within because what's going on there why are those people doing this why are they line dancing and kind of willing to do that on a on a Saturday morning because it's cool maybe it is Paddy yeah bless you um um Our church, St. Francis, was, so our estate was built post-war, 
And um, the church was built around the same time. And it was a church plant from another church. And it was quite a Catholic church. So not Catholic Roman with the Pope, but it meant smells and bells. So they would wear lots of stuff and they'd waft incense and ring bells and things. But it was really connected into the estate. I've read through the history and the the priest would go round and visit all the houses on the estate. It was much smaller then, thank goodness. Um, But he managed to do that. They had outdoor missions and would get people from university to come and share about Jesus. Apparently the 1960s they caused an uproar because Jesus was wearing jeans and this was very controversial back then. Uh, The guy was playing him. The people who were part of St. Francis had posters up in their windows saying, basically, we're from St. Francis. If you would like your child baptised, I know it's a bit controversial here, but if you'd like your child (laughs) baptised... If you would like to get married, come and speak to us, and we will connect you in. And so this church was in the midst of the community, part of it, and yet sadly from the 70s onwards it began to turn inwards on itself. The the, the different things began to close down. The fact that the saints and sinners bar at the end of the church was shut down has been controversial ever since apparently. There are people who still uh, are angry about it. And, And by 2020 St. Francis Mackworth had 12 to 20 people on a Sunday morning. That was it. That was all that were meeting there. And so we were privileged to bring 30 to 40 adults plus kids um, just after that initial lockdown of the pandemic. We did not plan to start the church in the pandemic. That was not what we were praying for. Um, And so we had to go hard online like everybody else. We just kind of launched online. We were listening on local Facebook groups. What are the problems? Um, You know, kids driving around on motorbikes, um, litter. They've never lived in London, so they think litter is a problem. It's not, but we got involved in local litter picks. I met, we were praying for people of peace. And so um, we met this guy on one of the litter picks. Uh, he's um, Asian descent. I think he's kind of Sikh by culture. And I said to him, I said, uh, Gurov, I'm the local vicar. I'm the new local vicar. Um, we, we would love to do our services online. Um, would, would you, you know, he got a Facebook group of over 1,000 people. Would you let us put our services on your Facebook group? Yeah, that's a great idea. Gaurav, I'll need to be an admin on your group to be able to do this. A few minutes later, he sends me through the thing. And so now there's over 4,000 people on that group, and we do our services online every week. And it's not that 4,000 people watch. Of course they don't, but they just kind of, they can trip over us. And it just, God opened the door. I didn't think we were going to do that when we arrived, but God kept opening doors. Um, we, We keep trying, churches so often turn inwards, and um, I'm aware of that. As we've grown, the, the mechanics of keeping Sunday services and people cared for get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the danger is you go from looking outwards to being a really lovely community, but we turn in. And so we've had to keep going, right, how do we keep looking at? How do we keep looking at? How do we keep looking out? But actually what's happened for us is we're provoking questions. People are going, oh my goodness, there's flags out there. There's people gathering out there. There's people litter picking. There's people prayer walking. There's all these kind of things going on and people keep contacting us. I had people this week just um, connecting with us and um, DMing us. And I had a lady, it's a bit bizarre, had a lady this last week ask me if I could bless her dog. Now, theologically, I'm not sure what I do with that. But it's an open door. And, so she, and, and she messaged me last night. She said, can I bring all my family to come and, so you can bless this dog? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to have this, this dog, Mary, going to bless, bless Mary the dog. Um, and, and I'm praying I'm going to get to bless her and the other people in there and invite them to church. So it's, we're provoking questions, which, 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 you know, because God's doing stuff. And, and I've been speaking to 
you know, some of you guys, and I know God is at work at Cornerstone. I know there are people who are having lives transformed and that God is at work. And so as you do that, you don't even have to sit there and try hard, but as you share that, just gently, that overflow is going to provoke questions in time. Like people are going, what's going on at that church at Cornerstone? As you take, as you go and buy communion wine, people, Paddy was telling me this week, you know, chatting to the lady as he's buying communion wine, she said, Paddy, can I come to your church? Just amazing. Those things are going to begin to happen. Um, Peter has to respond to various things. Um, as a church, one of the things I've just picked up in the last, well, just as I've been with you yesterday, is there is a sense of joy within Cornerstone. I, I want to encourage you in that. It's, it's noticeable. It's tangible. Um, I think, you know, often, uh, you know, as goes the leader, goes the church. And so um, that, you know, I, I know Paddy, and so therefore that probably is part of that. But actually... They thought, that the, they thought the disciples were drunk. Now, it's not that we want them to expect you're out of control or any of those things, but actually we want them to see some kind of deep joy, not a mask and pretending everything's well, but actually that joy of Jesus overflowing. Other things that have provoked questions with us over this last little while. Last year, um, one of our younger guys in his 20s uh, said to me, he said, Andy, can we do five-a-side football? And I was like, I mean, this guy has like five new ideas every day. He keeps WhatsApping me constantly. I have to keep pushing him down, bless him. Um, but he said, can we do football? I was like, Dave, no, I want you to do alpha. You need to run alpha. He's like, no, I want to do football. And so we had this kind of argument back and forth. And in the end, he won. Because um, he does, because he's from Yorkshire and he doesn't give up. Um, and we looked around church and we couldn't find 10 guys to play football. Not it has to be guys, but we, you know. Um, we, looked, we couldn't find 10 guys. We couldn't find 10 guys who could play football. Um, and so we began to invite and we began to pray. And, we, you know, and, and over the last year and a bit, there's now 70 to 80 guys in a WhatsApp, um, 25 to 35 blokes between the ages of 16 and 35 playing on two or three astro pitches just up the road. A whole bunch of these guys are from Mackworth. They don't know Jesus. They're connecting in. Most churches we know are two-thirds female um, or greater as you go around the country. And so just to be able to connect with that demographic and praying that they're going to see something different. Dave says it's about fun, it's about fellowship, which is a bit of a Christian word, and it's about fitness. And so it's not taking it really seriously, but people have noticed the sense of kind of uh, coming alongside, the friendliness. The, the, it's, you know, if they want to play really seriously, they can play for AFC Mackworth. And we've got a friendly against them in a few weeks' time, um, which would be interesting. But it, you know, we're just using it to, to build relationship and to gather. How are we doing? The challenge, and I think you guys know this, but Sam Chan, who's an Australian evangelist, he says, he tells a story. And he says, imagine that uh, you go into work on a Monday and you say to people, last night uh, um, a UFO, a UFO came down, it landed in my garden, a green man came out um, and he took me back to Jupiter. And because of the speed of the spaceship, it was able to get me to Jupiter and then get me back down and I was able to have a good night's sleep and I'm here this morning. Now, can you imagine what your colleague at work would say to you if you said something like that? They're going to think, you are absolutely crazy. Then you tell them the story, 
God created the whole universe. He created us for a relationship with himself. He, 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 he spoke to people. He then came himself in the person of Jesus to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserved. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He walked out, and then he empowers his people to live for him by his Holy Spirit. He comes and lives in us and then sends us out to continue the words, works, and wonders of Jesus. For most people, it sounds as nuts as the story of the green man and going to Jupiter. Like, it it just does for so many people. It feels unbelievable. And so we have to recognize there are these things called plausibility structures that make things believable or unbelievable. It doesn't mean they're true or, or not true. That's a different discussion. But there are things that make it believable or unbelievable. And so if we lived 500 years ago in the UK, the default would have been to be Christian. Now, whether you believed it or not, whether you really followed Jesus, that's another question. But the default was, yeah, God created all things. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose from the dead. That was default. And over the last 500 years, there's been a big change um, for all sorts of different reasons. And so we are impacted massively by what people around us believe, like much more than we realize. And so if you're in a group of people where everybody doesn't believe in Jesus, that's just the default. And so if you then step into a group of people where, oh, this person believes in Jesus. This person believes in Jesus. Now, that guy I never thought would believe in Jesus, but he believes in Jesus. And that person over there has got, got degrees and PhD, and that guy has spent time in prison, and that guy, uh, you know, is, is, has, has been divorced. And, you know, all these different things that you think, oh, well, I wouldn't expect that in a church, but somehow Jesus is at work in their lives. It suddenly begins to make it more plausible. Now, the question whether it's true or not is is a different question, but we have to recognize there are some of those things going on. Now, there's a danger with that, that we think about the psychological and the sociological. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings people to faith in Jesus. It's him that is at work. And so the pouring out of God's Spirit is the only thing that can do that. But I think it's important recognizing about plausibility structures, but also there are different ways in which people come to faith. Fusion is a student organization. I don't know if you've come across it. And they talk about mission styles. Some of us are very practical. So some of us here probably like sawing wood. We like um, creating things. That's not me. I can't create anything. Um, But some of us are, are good at doing practical stuff. Some people actually come to faith by doing stuff with people, getting alongside them. Some of us are very intellectual, and so you'll need to lend them a book by C.S. Lewis or Timothy Keller or Amy or Ewing or Rebecca McLaughlin because they need to work through it. Is this rational? Is this crazy? They need to go through that. Some of us are very experiential, and so what we need to do is pray for them, ask them politely if we can lay hands on them, pray that God's Holy Spirit will fall powerfully, and pray they'll have an experience deep experience of God's work in their life because they need experience. Others of us are deeply kind of emotional and personal. And the thing that will draw people to Jesus is actually knowing that you're deeply cared for. You know, coffee after coffee, beer after beer, just kind of listening and talking and conversing. Now, in reality, none of us fall into just one of those styles. But I think it's important thinking through, what way do I, what do I enjoy doing? What do the people around me enjoy doing? What sort of people are they? Are there things that we can do together or things we can read together or things that we can, um, yeah, th- you know, those sort of, what, what mission style might we want to use? A year and a half ago, um, 
I felt quite convicted about praying for our estate. And um, we finally managed to get it where we're going to go out monthly to prayer walk our estate. So there's some really passionate prayers. And they, prayer walking is, is, is what it says. I don't know if many of you have done it. But you basically go out and you walk as you pray. And you look around you go, oh, okay. I can see that there's a bunch of crates over there. I just want to pray that God's fire might fall on this estate. Or I can see that place is you know, painted in black and white and has got rams in every window. We just want to pray God, you know, um, you know, these people are obviously deeply immersed in the cult of Derby County and, um, or whatever it may be, you know, but praying God's blessing over this day. As we walk past the school, we pray for the, pray for the school. As we walk past the nursery, we pray for the nursery. We walk past the, the, the pubs, we pray for God's blessing on the pubs. And I felt God say, Andy, I want you to go out and pray for this day. So um, being a vicar, I can do what I like my time, pretty much. And so I did. And I wandered around, and I was praying. And I met a few people I knew, which was lovely. But there was no deep, profound kind of things that happened. I was like, okay, that was, that was cool. And then I went to Caleb, uh, my son's football training. He was doing football training at the time. And uh, all the parents and kind of, you know, people with the kids stand there looking aimlessly at what they're doing. And I ju- there was a guy in, my, in his 20s just off to my left. And I f- not an audible voice, but in my, internally, I just felt God say, talked to him. I'd never chatted to him before. I'd never seen him before. So I turned to him and we began to get into a bit of a conversation. And it was about an hour we had. And this guy just began to pour his heart out. Um, he eventually found out I was a vicar. I try to keep that hidden for the first bit because it can slightly skew the conversation. Um, and it, it turned out his, his mum had died the previous year. He'd had depression. He said he didn't normally talk to people, and he spent an hour pouring his heart out. And over the next few months, we began to talk every single week. We talked about all sorts of things. He's done two lots of Alpha. He's done half of one and half of the other. He's not yet following Jesus. But off the result of the back of a prayer walk, and it wasn't what I expected, began to see somebody moving towards Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you because... Do you remember the parable of the sower, the one that Jesus tells with a different seed? And one falls on the rocky ground, and one falls on the path, and one falls on the weedy ground, and one falls on the good ground. Only 25% of the seed actually makes it into reproducing plants. And so a lot of us think it's kind of one shot, one kill, or one shot, one live. That's a better metaphor. (laughs) But a lot of us think it's like that. Okay, you know, I tell one person about Jesus. We have one conversation. That person's going to become a, become a Christian. It's not how it works. We just need to kind of throw seed everywhere. You know, kind of lend a book here. Have a copy of Why Jesus in your back pocket. Have a playlist you can share. Share some things on your social media. You know, kind of share stuff that church is sharing online. Like just keep just chucking things out there. Um, one of the things I would love you to do, and you may have done, if you've been around church before, you, you'll have done this many times. Um, could you turn to somebody near you? I know it's horrible. If Some people don't like this at all. Last night was for the introverts, okay? So we had the kind of being quiet, and the extroverts are going, come on, we need to do something. Today's kind of naturally more extroverty. So if you just want to sit there, you know, that's absolutely fine. But I would love you um, to turn to the person next to you, and within two minutes... Not using any, I don't want to hear any phrases like blood of the lamb. Like I don't want to hear any phrases like salvation. I don't want to hear any phrases like being washed in the blood. I want to hear normal words that will make sense to people who, who aren't around church. Just tell them why you, you know, how you came to faith in Jesus or why you're a Christian. Just within a couple of minutes. Keep it short. Just have a quick think. How would I share that? Off you go. Okay. 
That is four minutes. If you didn't get to share it, you can share it again later on. Sorry? Okay, do you want to draw those to a close? La, 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 la. Wonderful. It's amazing how quickly that goes. So if there was two of you, you got two minutes each to do that. Um, one of the things we... S- oh, is that you, Paddy? Yeah. Okay. And I think we're okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. Oh, no, we're not. Amazing. Um, yeah, so one of the things we see is when Peter is sharing, he's a witness to the resurrection. So he's sharing his story. And so what you did is you, you may not have seen the living Jesus walking out of the tomb or seeing you know, the empty tomb like Peter did. But actually, you, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you, you have an experience of Jesus. You are a witness to the resurrection. And it doesn't matter whether you grew up in church like me and you think, oh, you know, I've, it's not very exciting. I wasn't a drug dealer or whatever. Um, but actually, the fact that you're still in church, the fact that you're still doing this is huge because so many people don't. We're in a big phase of, particularly in the States, deconstruction, lots of people walking away for all kinds of reasons, some of them legitimate, you know, poor church leadership and scandal and all sorts of things, but often just sadly not deep roots and personal suffering and things. So there's no, I'm not critical but the fact that you are still in church and being faithful is huge you know why are you still doing this and if you are a person who's come from outside of church and there's been a dramatic transformation or a gradual transformation you have a story to tell so be confident in that Peter told his story you have a story as well we see Peter here he is surrounded by people that don't know Jesus okay they're Jews they're God-fearing but actually they don't understand about the resurrection they don't understand Jesus was the Messiah and, and in that passage of Acts two, he links it to um, he links it to the prophecy from Joel. So he's connecting to what they already know. He explains to them about what what Jesus did and who he is. And so there is something about us not just knowing our own story, but we need to know the biblical story. We need to be able to explain what Jesus has done. Oh. Just last week. Um, I was privileged. So over, over the last six years, I, I seem to have a ministry to barbers. Um, my church take the mick out of me for this. Um, unfortunately, I don't get it on church expenses. I would love to do that and say it's mission. Um, I, I, maybe I need to have the conversation with the treasurer. Um, but they always say, Andy, how many barbers do you have? And it's like, the reason I have more than one is because it's a barber shop. And they're very chatty, and there's four of them in there. And, you, and the problem is when you, they find out you're a vicar, everybody in the room then starts throwing in stuff. And five years ago, we, we did the Thy Kingdom Come thing. I don't know if you do that here, so talked about it. So it's kind of praying between Ascension and Pentecost. And five years ago, in the church I was in, we had these little bracelets made out of thread, and you had to tie five knots in them to pray for five people that you wanted to see come to know Jesus. And so I was praying for uh, the four guys in the barbers, barbershop, and I think there was somebody else as well. Now, over the last six years that I've been in Derby, I've been chatting with all of these barbers. And some of them, the conversations haven't really gone anywhere. Some of them, the conversations haven't seemed like they've gone anywhere. But early this year, one of the guys left that and set up on his own. And we began to talk some more. And I took him a gospel in February. And then we started to read. I started going over there on a Thursday morning just to begin to read the gospel with him. Then on Easter Sunday, I, I, mess- I messaged him on Instagram and said, uh, Lorenzo, you-, you know, we'd love to see you there Easter Sunday morning. He said, yeah, mate, I'll be there. I'll be there. I was like, 
like, of course you'll be there. If I had a pound for every time somebody said they'll be at church, I would be a very rich person. Um, but we got to the beginning of the service. I was praying near the, near the sound desk, and I looked up, and there was Lorenzo, his ex-girlfriend, and his daughter. And I was like, oh, my goodness. He was in church. And then as rec- more recently, he has begun to come along to a midweek thing on a Thursday lunchtime with some other lads that I meet with. And then we baptized some people on Sunday morning, which we mentioned last night. And, he sa- and then he messaged me after. He said, Andy, look, can we meet up so I can understand the basics? Because I want to be baptized. I was like, come on. And so, we, and so we met on Thursday morning and we sat down. And I don't know, uh, some of us will know it, but there, it's, it's a bit old school. Um, but the bridge diagram. So you've, on the one side... You've got human, human beings. On the other side, you've got God. In the middle, there is a gap, which is human sin, separating human beings from God. The problem is human beings, they try to build bridges across the gap. They try to kind of, you know, throw things across by doing good deeds, by following an eightfold path, by following five pillars, whatever it may be. But it never crosses across. The only way you can get from this side to that side is if somebody builds a bridge across. And the bridge across is the cross. Jesus took our sin on himself when he hung on the cross in order that we can then come across to him. And so I sat down with Lorenzo and I drew this out, not very pretty, I've drawn it on pub napkins and all sorts of things over time, but I drew it out for him. And I was like, look mate, do you want to, you know, do you believe that? He's like, yeah I do. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah I do. So I sat with Lorenzo Thursday morning, invited Jesus into his life. And just such a privilege because it's been almost six years. And I can't tell you, it's been constant prayer every night, praying for him. But over the years we've prayed, we've talked, we've kind of kept pursuing. Now there's a bunch of other guys who are not there at all yet. So remember the seeds, like 25%. I don't know if that's exact. I know Jesus was doing maths there. But some of the seeds fall on different ground. But six years on, Lorenzo's now a follower of Jesus. And we're about to baptize him. And so I want to encourage you, learn something that is simple and reproducible. So when you're sitting in the pub, when you're with somebody down the gym, when you're in, a, when you're in kind of a, um, a craft club or a book club, that people say to you, you know, what? What is this story? Like, you know, so you can draw a bridge diagram with a cross in the middle, or, or there are other ways you can do. If you Google stuff on YouTube, Google the bridge diagram, or Google three circles. Just simple, reproducible ways to explain the gospel. Because again, I was sitting with some of the guys that I meet with on a Thursday, and some of them are, are new to faith, some of them are not. In fact, I was, I was really excited Thursday because two of them prayed out, prayed out loud in a group for the first time, and they'd never done it before. But anyway, I told them about Lorenzo in the morning. I said, look, guys, have you ever seen this? Now, n- some of them have grown up in church. Some of them haven't. None of them knew it. And I said, would you know how to lead somebody in a prayer of commitment to follow Jesus? No, no, we wouldn't know that. I'm like, great. Well done, Vicar. This is, this is good stuff. But it may be that you don't. Again, this is really old school, but it's quite simple. To lead someone in a prayer, accept you're a sinner. Like, accept actually that, you know, we've messed up. We're kind of fallen away from God. Believe that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, that he rose from the dead. And then see, commit your life to him. Accept, believe, commit. Really simple. And just lead somebody in a prayer. And, I, you know, and hundreds of people I've had conversations with over the years. Dozens of people I've had the privilege of leading them in that prayer and then baptizing them. So you know, the proportions go down. But actually, wouldn't it be incredible if in Cornerstone, Every single person that knows Jesus was actually able to to share your own story and then share the story of Jesus. And then you could begin to 
see more and more baptisms, see more and more lives change. See that, not just addition, not just the ones and twos, which praise God is amazing because he cares about the individual, but you could see multiplication. You could see tame, transformed for the glory of Jesus. Because the danger is as church, we turn inwards and God is challenging you this week. Well, I think God is challenging you this weekend to turn outwards again. So many people that don't know they're loved. So many people that don't have purpose or meaning or are struggling with identity. Jesus brings those things.